This podcast is in no way affiliated with the Stars Production or Diana Gabaldone. All views expressed are solely our own. Welcome to the Outlander Podcast, where the men are kilted, the women are winsome, and the whiskey is neat. Welcome to episode 240 of the Outlander Podcast. I'm Ginger. And I'm Summer, and we are in love with all things Outlander. These days, you can get practically everything on demand, like our podcast, to listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. Well, with Stamps.com, you can access all the services of the post office right from your desk. Buy and print real U.S. postage for any letter or any package. It's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click print, mail, and you're done. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale. You can weigh your letters and packages and print the exact amount of postage every time from your home or office. All available 24 hours a day, seven days a week when it's convenient for you. Stamps.com, it's easy to use. It will help you save time and it's convenient. You can even get postage discounts. It really does more than just stamps. Right now, use Outlander for this special offer. Four-week trial includes postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Outlander. That's stamps.com. Enter Outlander. So every week, I th- it, it almost seems like... You think the last week was the last week? Last week as in no more or last week as in actually was before this week? As in like no more. Like you seem constantly surprised that we have another episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that we have another another episode. It's like the numbers keep getting bigger. I'm like, oh, God. What else would they do? I don't know. But Summer, <laughs> do you see? I uh, This is not going to come out because it's, it is podcast related, just not Outlander. Do you see that interface? I did. It's like traveling instead of spikes. It's like really quick compared to the last interface, really quickly traveling voice, (laughs) voice tracks, waveforms. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm more concerned about the one where it's like (laughs) counting how many megabytes it's using. Oh, since it's trying to give me a hard time about my memory. I have a health check. Warning. Okay. So are there any announcements? Well, okay. It's not an official announcement and we don't normally share this stuff on online or even like, I'll say propagate it because that sounds bad. We don't normally share these types of things because although they may be absolutely legitimate and I, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure this one is, we don't share a lot of um, casting calls because it's just not, they hardly ever, if ever say Outlander. It's it's very obvious what they are, you know, because they say some Scottish child child. I mean, come on, what else is filming there, right? There was one this week. You know what I'm talking about, Sam? I do, but it only counts if you're Canadian and native. <laughs> And First Nation. Absolutely. And a lot of people. So there's okay. So there's basically a casting announcement or a casting call, I should say, not an announcement that was looking. They're doing a casting call for I don't even know if it was a 30. It was a large. There was like it was a lot. It was 70, 70 young men, 70 like men. There was women, women involved, too, um, if you went and looked. But it was men, um, men, women. Older women and older men. And older men, yes. So they were very specific in like age ranges. But yeah, they wanted, they were looking for Canadians with uh, 
they had something as so obviously uh, I don't want to say passports, but that may have been in there. I didn't read that far, but it was Canadians, a good number of different age groups, uh, representing different age ranges, who were First Nations, and I mean I. I and that's, a, I believe, a synonym for Native Americans. Now, I did read that some people were kind of miffed or hurt or, you know, shocked or surprised that that the production or whoever is handling, you know, procuring companies, like the cast, that basically the, probably the casting agency or agents, uh, why did, they're, they're leaving Americans or Native Americans out. Well, no, they're not. The, the thing is, this is an American production, but it's being filmed in Scotland and they hire Almost everyone from the UK, right? Where possible. Well, if you're an American, number one, this is in line with what they've been doing, right? They haven't been advertising at least this kind of thing, extra, extra kind of stuff. This is a large group of extras, basically. It's non-speaking roles. They haven't been doing that kind of search in the US. And the reason is because unless you're a dual national with the UK or a Commonwealth nation, it could be very difficult to, you know, to be, to have a work uh, eligibility for the UK, the EU, let alone other Commonwealth nations. We like to call ourselves Americans, and we are. If you're if you're here and, and you're a citizen, okay, you're an American uh, resident, whatever. But America actually is, and also in many other languages, like like in France, in French, for example, America is shorthand for the United States of America. But America also means our continent or the two American continents, right? So you have North America and South America. So basically, when you say Native Americans, it actually (laughs) covers North America, Central America, and South America. Any native slash indigenous slash First Nations people. Now, if if I'm incorrect on that last terminology, First Nations, because we don't use that here in the U.S. that I'm aware of at least in what I've heard, but I have heard it used um, in, in, in Canadian of discuss, in discussions of Native Americans in Canada. That's where I've heard the term. Australia, for example, uses uh, Aborigine, right? Aborigine just means original, original inhabitants, original people. So it's not that Aborigines only come from Australia. No, Australian Aborigines only come from Australia, but um, I digress. So they weren't looking for, they weren't, anti-American or anti-Mexican or anti-Central and South America. The reason they specifically looked toward Canada, and it makes a lot of sense, is because Canada is part of the Commonwealth. And there are a number of nations, the ones I am pretty sure of are Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Those countries, unlike the United States, (laughs) never fought a revolutionary war. To be separated from uh, from England or from Britain. And so modern day countries, although they absolutely gained independence as far as their own, and this is where my, I, my lack of history knowledge is showing, but they absolutely have their own governments, parliaments, etc. But they still recognize, at least nominally, you guys tell me if I'm on or off here, they still have the monarchy as their maybe not their head of state but as their um it's still their monarch so they have a they have a very special relationship with the UK with the Britain that we do not it doesn't mean we're not friendly it doesn't mean we're not pals but one of the benefits of that special or different relationship is that they have now they may have to go through extra hoops i have no idea but 
they can actually apply for positions. It's not, I don't think it's as liberal as an EU citizen applying. Again, I could be wrong. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But um, yeah, so they're not excluding Americans. And what I thought was really funny is that the very reason, again, unless there's something else I don't know about, the very reason that Americans, U.S. Americans, are being quote-unquote left out is because we fought the War of Independence, which book fours, book fours, books four through through seven. Oh my gosh, books four through 10. I mean, I don't know if it goes all the way through 10, but at least four through eight are set in before running up to enduring. And we're doing a read-along right now of a book <laughs> that's leading up to the, <laughs> to the Revolutionary War. So I found it kind of funny. It's like, you know, you, yeah, it is what it is. But um, yeah, it's not about leaving people out or, or not thinking Americans are good enough. Nothing like that. It is completely due to the unique relationship between Commonwealth nations and the UK or and Britain. So that was something I thought was worth bringing up because we don't share any, there's a lot of casting announcements for extras that we see shared in groups and everything, but we don't typically, you know, talk about them because- it's, it's about a baby or it's about a this or it's about a one thing. But this is a rather large ca- cattle call, casting call. Wouldn't you say some? I mean, 70. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be in Scotland for like two months. I'm just May, saying. May and June. And we're going to be in Scotland in May. Paid to be there. Well, they're getting, from what I understand, they're getting uh, room and board. So they're going to place to stay and they'll get fed. And, and may, unless I'm totally like having a brain fart and mixing this up with something else, they absolutely will be paid, but I think they're paid at the end of their term. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure that they're being flown out. Oh, of course. I mean, they won't incur any cost. So let's be honest. But Let's think about this. If somebody said to me, Summer, hey, I'm going to fly you to Scotland. I'm going to feed you and give you a place to live, but then I'm going to pay you at the end um, instead of all the way through. You're paying me in room and board the whole time I'm there. And then I get money at the end bonus. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know a lot of people. Well, here who, you know, could leave their job for two months, but yeah. I mean, if you could take a, an extended leave of absence and you qualified for the, for the position, why not? Holy smoky. So that's all we have. We shared the, um, an article about it, um, uh, today on our Facebook page and that's at facebook.com slash outlander pod. And you'll see that this is, this, this episode goes up Sunday, but you'll see it. And you probably, especially by then, if you haven't heard of this already, you probably will have. So yeah, we just thought that was, uh, quite interesting because it's, um, the number, it addresses a question I've had privately, privately, and I haven't expressed myself or I haven't mentioned it. I think I mentioned it to Summer and a few friends, but um, I I am so surprised at how thick-headed I was. I can't believe I didn't think outside of this box. And that is because we know <laughs> from here on out, okay, except for 9 and 10. We don't know what happens in 9 and 10. But four, books 4 through 8, Native Americans, different tribes show up all every single book. Every single book. And there's quite a number quite a number. So, and all ages, cause there's kids, there's young women, old women, young men, all men, old men, teens, legit. They're all in all kinds of age groups. So I've said to my friends, well, how, how are they going to like, I don't think there's a lot of native American, like legit native American first nations people, or at least first nations looking people 
enough of them in the UK <laughs> to get all to cover all their bases. And I'm thinking, what are they going to do? How are they going to get to America? Da-da-da. Well, Ginger, there's a little place. Actually, it's a big place. There's a little place just north of our border that has plenty of First Nations people and a right to work. <laughs> I can't believe I was so um, dense about that, but I can't believe you're admitting that. Of course. Why wouldn't I? I don't I wouldn't. It wouldn't? No. So that's kind of that. And now on to our read along. This week, we are beginning and ending part six of Dragon... Ah, every time! Drums of Autumn. <laughs> Not Dragonfly and Amber. Drums of Autumn. Part six. Drums of Autumn. Entitled, Jetame. Starting with chapter 17, entitled, Home for the Holidays. Erica B. writes, part six is entitled, very simply... I love you in French. Does this mean we will find ourselves in love in France? I'm going no. Um, I can see how you might think that, but we're still in Scotland. Chapter 17, as some said. Eileen P. writes, The chapter title brings to mind the 1954 song, Home for the Holidays. Here's a wee bit of the lyrics. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays, because no matter how far away you roam, if you want to be happy in a million ways, for the holidays you can't beat home sweet home. Just reading the title brings a feeling of warmth and happiness. Leanne F. writes, Following right on the heels of the previous chapter where Jamie and Claire seek to discover a possible place to make their new home in North Carolina, and Claire's unsettling worry that Jamie will return to Scotland to recruit settlers and meet his death, this chapter has much the same themes of endings and new beginnings. It is December 23rd, 1969. Roger is at the manse, thinking of Bree or at least we, we, we think he is only thinking of Bree, he recounts a conversation he'd had with Mrs. Graham and the Reverend. How do you know if you're truly in love? Well, Mrs. Graham had said, quote, if you have to ask yourself if you're in love, laddie, then you aren't. Unquote. And the Reverend said, quote, when you're in love, Raj, you'll know it with no telling. Unquote. And they'd been right. <laughs> Another quote. Quote, he knew with no telling, had known since he'd met Brianna Randall, unquote. But he wasn't sure she felt the same. The next day, December 24th, 1969, Fiona is making sure all is prepped to be staying by himself with Brie and that they won't starve. Fiona had invited them to stay with her and her husband for Christmas, but yeah, no. She even kisses Roger full on the lips as she leaves to spite her husband, who is impatiently waiting in the car and honking. Were they married yet or were they just affianced? Um, I think it was just, I think it was her fiance. Yeah, I don't think they're married yet. Did I say husband? Yes. Oh, her, yeah, her fiance. Bree pops out the front door. She's there with him. She wants to know why, what he's doing out front, what he's doing there. And this was interesting to me. In all my reads, like Summer says, or like I always say too, uh, things pop out to me at me 
when I do these close readings that I I just gloss over before or don't they don't pop out you know if I'm just listening for the storyline for the to see what happens so Fiona just leaves Brianna comes outside so she was inside she comes out to the front porch or to the front and she wants to know why he's out there and Diana writes quote he hesitated tempted to tell her after all it had evidently worked on Ernie but it was Christmas Eve he reminded himself. In spite of the lowering sky and plummeting temperature, he felt warm and tingling all over, unquote. So Summer, what do you think he meant here? That he was tempted to tell her? Tell her what? Tell her that Fiona kissed him because that's what Fiona was telling. Fiona was kissing him in view of her fiance. And I thought he was tempted to tell ah, Brie that Fiona kissed him. Now I get it. Cause I'm like, her husband's gone. There's, or her fiance is gone. There's no one to impress, but you mean just the fact that he's telling her that just like the fiance saw it, it probably bugged him. So if he tells Brie that Fiona kissed him, that might bug her. He just wants to make her jealous. Of course. That makes sense. So Roger's in the process of clearing out the man's. He was happy that it was almost done, but he's also sad to see the study not be what it once was, full of warmth. So they're packing up the reverend's things, as well as stuff that Brianna will have. He points out that she already has the books by her father, and Roger's stuff, or the stuff the revs of the revs that Roger would keep. For example, the reverend's desk was moved to the garage for storage. And I thought long and hard about what to say or what not to say. I will not say what I was wanting, what I do really do want to say, but um, the desk for store, the desk being put into storage. I'm having thoughts about that desk, Summer. Well, we can talk about that off, that offline. Don't. You stop that right now. You, you, sh- you shut your desk mouth. <laughs> oh, Lord, Summer. But do you know where I'm, you know why I'm mentioning it? I, I know where okay. you're going with it. You don't think it's the same desk? I don't know, but I don't want to talk about I'm it. I'm not talking about it. I just asked you. But anyway, I'm having thoughts about that desk. And if you guys know what I mean, DM me or Summer or email us because I want to talk don't about DM that. DM me. I'll tell them to shut their desk mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about that desk, Mandy. It's all Mandy's fault. It's all Actually, it's Diana's fault, but. It's also Mandy's fault. So the inscription Frank had written into the book that Roger wanted Brie to keep was Latin for, quote, the times are changing and we with them, unquote. That's very funny, Frank. <laughs> Just look at that. I mean, we don't, we will finish the chapters, but what does that mean? I mean... He's a historian and that involves time passing. So it could be just a cutesy, histo- you know, historian thing, right? It doesn't have to be meaningful, but... I mean, his daughter is Brie. His wife said <laughs> that she traveled back in time 200 years and then, t- and then and then met somebody and got pregnant and came back. So, I mean, there is he has at least heard of, of a theory of time travel. So time, anytime Diana, through a character, brings her attention to the word or concept of time or travel. Girl, I get very suspicious. So you're saying she can't use the word time and or travel separately or together without you getting curious? No, no, no. If one of the characters says, what time is it? So-and-so, I don't have thoughts about that. But look, come on. The times are changing and we with them. I mean, that's in that specific thing, who wrote it and who's in this scene right now and what her attachments are to her family and her family's experience, I mean, and this is Diana. So I was, I'm very suspicious. 
The manse and its lands belongs to the church. The new reverend has his own money and his wife likes mod cons. So the parish council is going to lease the manse. And Fiona and Ernie, her fiance, are going to take it. Now, I think this is good. Now, whatever you opinions I may have had before about Fiona or may have, you know, yeah, may, may have had before this book about Fiona. Fiona's a good, Fiona's a good girl. Fiona's a, look, she knows her place now. She's not trying to like Mac on Roger Mac. So we're all cool with Fiona now. Yes. But that aside, we know, do we know yet about, oh yeah, because Voyager there with Fiona, right? She was at the house. And they talked about stuff. I'm sure. So Fiona, I, it's not a spoiler for me to say in our episode that Fiona, because we know she was a relative, a granddaughter, right? Of Mrs. Graham. We know that she's been there at the manse. She helped Roger, all, all those things. But we know that she knows things. I don't know if she knows things like Mrs. Graham knows things or new things. Uh, Not like about specific people, but I think she knows about, okay, so... So that, that was my question. So if you're not sure, then I won't say it. Let's just say if someone else besides Roger or the Reverend has to have the manse, it's good that Fiona has it. I think it's good that Fiona has it, even if not anything, but purely because of the history of the place. Because her grandmother worked there, you know, and, and there's there's a familial history attached to it for her as well as Roger. Exactly. It's, it is like keeping... To me, that would be almost keeping it in the family. Right. And they want loads of kids. The manse has 12 rooms. Good gracious. Eileen P. writes, At the beginning of the chapter, we learn that Roger has come home to what will be his final Christmas in the manse. Fiona has stopped her pursuit of Roger and now has a fiancé, Ernie. They will be renting the manse from the church, so it's time for Roger to clear out. You know, I think Fiona really had her eye on the manse the whole time. Well played, Fiona. Mm -mm. <laughs> I think that's pretty. I mean, obviously, Roger's cute and all, but that's very. I mean, she, she could be being tongue in cheek, but that's very clever. Erica B writes, wait a minute. The manse was, quote, designed in Victorian times for ministers with numerous families, unquote. It was okay for ministers to have more than one family. Yeah, that's not how I read that. How I read that was that it, that, that was a time period when your adult children lived with you and their significant others and their children. So that's what I, that's how I interpreted multiple families. So like if I lived in a house and I have my daughter and then my daughter got married well, I guess it would have to be a boy. So if my son got married and his wife would then move in with my family and they would have their kids and, you know, you raise, it takes a village. So you have them, everyone's raising all the kids and then their kids would, you know, continue on that tradition. That's how I read it. I didn't read it that they had multiple wives. Uh, she continues, or do you think he meant multi-generational? Because I read it more as many wives with children than multi-generational. This isn't Sister Wives. Which is, by the way, currently not on the air. And I miss it. <laughs> Brianna says she'll have to sort through her parents' books when she gets back to Boston. The house, we learn, is meant to go on the market by summer. We learn more about the preparation Claire did before she left. She found a tenant and leased the house for almost an entire year. So Brianna had time to decide what to do. Well, okay, Later on in this chapter or the next chapter, I think it's the next chapter, Brianna says, I can't leave college without, you know, finishing my degree. 
So if Claire did this prep and someone has the house, so Brianna doesn't have to worry about it, isn't that the least she could have done? Because Brianna, forget worrying about the house, Brianna needs to worry about her studies. So because when I first read this, I was like, oh, that's so cool. So Brianna can like have a year to kind of, you know, take stock and decide what she wants to do. No, she has a year to do school. When you're going to school, wherever you are living, you don't have time to think about your parents' shiz. You you don't, but you do. And the, the what I mean by that is that because she's away at college, so she's probably staying in dormitory, right? So if she's away at college, she's not at her mom's house. She's having no interaction with her mom's house. And maybe she will make the decision in that year of, I really want to go home or, you know, be in the place that was ours. Or I don't think I can ever be in that place again because of the history and the, and the feelings. So I, I don't, I don't think that that's, I agree with that. I agree with that. But to me, there's a difference between having truly a year to consider it. I don't mean a year bumming around doing nothing to think about only that. But if you're in school full time, which I'm guessing she is, and she's, I, I think you're right. I think she's in the dorms. She is so, you can't, she's not, she can't help but think of her mom and her dad. Of course, she just lost them both. But she's worried about, she's, she's, she's suffer, suffering from, uh, you know, um, she's mourning, still mourning her father's death. And she's mourning the loss of her mom. She's going to school and she's, it's important to her. So she has, that I guess the the rest of the the spring semester it's Christmas now so I th- I guess well one more semester maybe more whatever it is it must be I'm guessing it's the rest of the semester so my point is Diana did what she did I'm not I'm not saying that was right or wrong or good or bad but the first time I read it I thought that and it is however you do read it or however you whatever your opinion of it it was a really good and forward thinking thing of Claire to do it was very good of her I'm not dissing that. But to me, it would have been very beneficial if Brianna had had that year to have, you know, to not worry about the house and to do all these things and make up her mind, whatever it is, with even a half year, not even a full year. If she had a good chunk of that time where it was either being paid for or there was rent or whatever, however Claire handled that, it would be it would have been helpful if that part of that time were specifically on purpose after she finished school. And when she finishes school, she's going to have to about getting a job. You know, there are so many things she'll be thinking about and she'll never not think about her parents. She'll never not think about the house. But as far as having, you know, that deadline, that's because once school is out, it's like you have what a few weeks or whatever it is to go clear it out. I mean, it's possible. People do a lot harder, a lot harder things. I get it. I'm just saying when I first read it, I thought that's amazing. That was I was reminded how forward thinking and and uh, Claire was and how much she prepped. And then I realized in chapter 18, uh, she is at school during that year. Yeah, but if she's already but if she's already sorted out a tenant, it's just as easy to probably release that same tenant in the house for another year so she can have another year on top of that. Very possibly. And it may be as easy as um, no matter what, no matter what. It was good. I, I think we I think we I think we can agree. Number one, it was awesome prep. And number two, it at least gave her her final year of college without worrying about that. So that I I respect. I, I'm just saying I don't know if two years would have been possible, but like a year and a half, maybe that's all I would have thought. Because I I was reading it. I wasn't wasn't reading it wrong. I was just I was misinterpreting. Most property leases are not longer than a year. Oh, I understand. I'm just saying it could have been something that she left with um, under the direction of a 
like a leasing agency or through uh, Joe. Well, Joe's got his own things to worry about. Don't put it on Joe. Look, Joe is not managing her affairs for 12 months. He's a surgeon. I know he's that. He's a surgeon. <laughs> and he's got his own family. Again, Joe is not managing her portfolio this entire time. What I'm saying is if she could do for a year, I, I'm just saying I'm happy Brie doesn't have to worry about it during college. But to me, she shouldn't have to worry about it to have a true year to consider what to consider stuff. That is a lot to put on someone taking she's taking it off of her but it's a lot to put to, to put on someone to know that after you're graduated okay you've got like two weeks let's go make up your mind right oh but, my gosh but let's think of the alternative here's the alternative claire goes i'm never coming back i'm selling this and then i'll just put the money aside yeah. for brianna and then brianna goes but i wanted it so i think that she made the right choice and i think we need to move on we're gonna move on i think she made the right choice no one's denying that I think keeping it and renting it out was perfection. I just am shocked and I feel bad for Brie who has, she'll be graduating at the same time she has to make that decision. That's not a lot. That's not a lot of time, girl. I know you wanted to give it to her, but that was not a good parallel. But her decision, her decision could have been, let's lease it for another year while I think about it. So I don't, I still don't think this, I think it's fine. Oh, that's true. That's true. She didn't say it had to sell in a year. I know that. But she has, she does have a decision to make. And the, you're right. The decision could be as easy as, do you want to live here for another year? Great. Okay. Keep paying your rent. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to, I, I'm not trying to make it difficult. I'm just surprised that I, that I read it so easily and didn't think more, you know, past a year. And I didn't realize that that year aligned with her year at college. You'd never turn down free money, right? Well, if you shop online without the best coupons, you're already paying too much. Fortunately, there's a free browser extension called Honey that automatically finds the best coupons on the web, so you always get the best prices on everything online. In two clicks, add Honey to any browser for free, and then shop like you normally do. Honey scans and tests millions of coupons in the background. Over 7 million people use Honey every day, and together, they've saved millions of dollars. At checkout, Honey will automatically apply the best coupon to get you the biggest discount. When Honey's got your back, you'll never overpay for anything again. One thing I've used Honey with is through a site that I love, and I got some of my Stevia water sweeteners, like a little water thing you add to water to give it kind of a little bit of a taste, and I saved 5%. There's no reason not to add Honey to your browser today. It's free, it just takes seconds to install, and it will save you tons of money. Add Honey to your browser for free right now at joinhoney.com slash outlander. That's joinhoney.com slash outlander. Erica B writes, poor... I don't... How do you spell that? I don't even want to try. Erica B writes, poor Brianna with having to cope with selling the Boston house. She is young to have to make the decision of what to do with the property. Thankfully, though, she isn't being forced to sell and is able to make her departure from it on her own terms with time to cope with the sadness and the stress of it all. Eileen P writes, I think it's always difficult clearing out and moving out of your family home. There is such an emotional connection to the place that was the beginning of your world. The monumental task of sorting through the memories, what to keep, what to donate, and what to throw out. Difficult decisions abound. 
Bree is helping Roger tackle the enormous amount of things accumulated over the course of the Reverend Wakefield's lifetime. The title of the chapter is Home for the Holidays, so I wonder if the manse also feels like home to Bree, or is it the presence of Roger that brings her the warmth and comfort of home? Even while sorting through the Reverend's books, they find books for Bree, autographed by her adoptive father, Frank. This sounds like the worst Christmas break well, ever. I'd even argue that Frank is not her adoptive father. He's he's her legal father since birth. Adoptive. I'm just saying. Well, I know. We're saying different things. <laughs> I'm saying. I'm talking. I hate packing. I, I hate packing when I know what everything is. I hate packing doubly when I'm trying to pack somebody else's things and I can't just pack them and put them away. I have to ask somebody, do you want this? Do you not want this? I know, right? This one and I'll keep this. Okay, this is what just happened. I said, I would like a Diet Coke. And Summer goes, that tree over there is pretty. (laughs) (laughs) But Summer, I agree. I, I, (laughs) packing someone else's, it's not that it's, it's never fun. You're right. It's never fun. Your own someone else's is never fun. But when you can't just, when you know all of your stuff, like, okay, here's my kitchen. I'm going to take this. I'm going to put it in a box and then label it. Ready? Go. You can at least get your stuff done and set yourself tasks without checking with 87 people 87 times. When it's someone else's, you're like, um, I know it's in the kitchen, but do you want it? But it has a thing on it. Do you want it to go with the box that has the other thing? Oh, God. And that drives me bonkers. And it's Christmas. That's a terrible oh, way to spend Christmas. She must really love that boy. Or something. Eileen P. continues. That reminds us that it is not just about the accumulated items, the memorabilia, but about the lost loved ones that make it difficult to say goodbye to a family home. So as they're in his childhood home, dismantling it, talking about her childhood home being dismantled, they talk about families and children. What is it about only children wanting large families? And then he kisses her. And they agree on the large families thing. I always wished I was an only child. (laughs) Um, And I I didn't want a huge family. I mean, we came from a small family. I only wanted another sibling, so I had someone to gang up against you with. But I thought growing up that I would want to have at least one more than the family unit I came from. So it wasn't just me against the, the other one, which is how I kind of, you know, how it kind of gets when you have two just two kids. And then I had one and I'm like, I'm, I'm real good. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're done here. I think there, maybe, maybe it's just you romanticize the, the thing you didn't have. So I think reality will, will dictate how they move forward with that. Eileen P writes, throughout their relationship, Bree has had a wall up and then cracks in the wall happen and you have to pay attention. Yes. She wants kids, Roger, dot, 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 with you. We shall see. Ah, Diana, quote, he wanted kids, all right. Just at the moment, he wanted to do what led to kids a lot more. As one does, as you do. And then they make out some more. And they are interrupted by a knock on a window. Now, the study had floor-to-ceiling windows. The Reverend liked it. He was he was a painter, so he liked to have light in there. And the postman, okay, this was just like, I understand maybe a knock. You leave the mail. You don't need to get people's attention. But we know what he was doing. I'm like, okay, he's trying to get their attention. But dude did not just knock and like wave something in at them. Dude knocked and scrunched his face against the glass. How like the It must be it must be a small town thing. Oh my goodness. It must a be small town nosy busybody thing. 
And um, his name, I, I wonder, and I didn't, I mean, I know of the play, but I didn't, the play that should not be mentioned. We can mention it. We're not in a theater. I did think of the play right away. Or you can just call it the Scottish play. The Scottish play. There you go. I did think about the Scottish play right away, but I never, I, I don't know enough about it or, or the character to know if this dude was anything like, I, I don't, I don't think there's any other than the fact that he's Scottish, is there any kind of similar? Is there any? Is there anything to that comparison? The guy's name, the postman's name is Macbeth. I don't think there's any comparison there. I don't. I don't think so. Because I think it's just a name. But still, when you think about that name, you think about that which shall not be named or whatever. Voldemort? Not Voldemort. Not Voldemort. <laughs> exactly. Not that. So the dude had a letter for Brianna from America. The nosy post. Oh gosh, it just doesn't end. The nosy postman asks if they're alone. And she replies, nope, Uncle Angus is upstairs asleep. And he's like, oh, okay, gotcha. And Uncle Angus is, of course, a stuffed dog. Erica B. writes, I do hope they keep this little scene with the postman and Uncle Angus in the show. It's quite amusing and reminiscent of the scene on the ship in Voyager when Jamie and Claire are in the cabin trying to have some sexy time. And I forget who, Stan maybe, and yes, it was Stan, is on the other side of the door asking about Claire's health and such. I feel like Roger and ja- Roger's and Jamie's lines are almost almost the same. Good day to you. <laughs> and then, okay, I just have to say it. Does anyone else think it weird that Brianna calls her parents daddy and mama like she's three years old it just seems so unnatural to me perhaps it was common in the 60s i have no idea but it does weird me out every time i read or hear it i would i would think it weirder if she called her mother mother and mother and father like not saying my mother or my father but calling someone mother and father i think that's creepy in stepford i don't know about stepford that's just okay so i don't know that i've ever done it i don't think i've ever done it but the only time that I can see at least mother being used, besides in talking about someone and not to them, is if you're like horrified, like you're horrified at something, you go, oh, mother. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's the only, I've never done that. And I could not see myself doing it, but I've seen it in movies or so. I, that does sound like something I've heard. The tandem thing for the dad, I, I've never, ever heard anything in news, uh, excuse me, in news, in, um, in plays, in movies, in any kind of medium where it's, it's a similar surprise, whatever. <gasps> Father. Uh, no, <laughs> I just, no, I ha- I can't, I can't even imagine it. The mother I can not calling someone mother, like mama or mom or mommy. No mother is just, I, it, I don't know. When I think of that, I think of um, uh, Franz Josef, who was the, I think, I think next to last um, Kaiser of Austria. In German, there's two ways of saying you. There's a formal you and the informal you. And the, in, the formal you, you use with, um, it's, it's a matter of respect. You use it with strangers. You use it with people who are higher than you socially. And what that means is, um, or higher rank, higher social rank, not just like class. I'm not even saying that, but like if you're a student, you call, is it because it's a matter of respect, you call your teacher this formal you. And so um, this emperor of Austria, Kaiser, Franz Josef, till she died, or all growing up, obviously it, it wouldn't have changed back. He called his mother formal you the entire time. So even though he he said you to her in, a, in the, using the formal you, I don't know 
that he ever used the the German. I, I don't know if he would have said Mutter and then Z. I mean, that's really odd. But to me, it sounds like that. If I were to call my mom mother, it is so formal. You know what I mean? It's just it's never it's never been part of my vocabulary as far as how to address my mom. Eileen P writes, apparently Bree's a much better liar than Claire. Other than a slight pinkening at the end of her nose, one wouldn't be able to tell Brie is lying. This is so unlike Claire's telltale face. Perhaps Brie gets her ability from her father, the cunning young fox. So Brie flushes when Roger asks her if she'll read it, read the letter. And she says, oh, it's nothing important. And then her flush deepened. She opens it and shows him. It was a notification from the library at her university that mentioned that a reference was not attainable via interlibrary loan, but that it could be viewed, quote, in the private collection of the Stuart Papers held in the Royal Annex of Edinburgh University, unquote. How convenient is this? She's in Scotland now. He says that she should have told him she was looking for Jamie. He could have helped her. And she's kind of, she doesn't ignore him, but she kind of, you know, she's a little bit embarrassed about this. And then he's like, okay, look, you need some tea. Now she says she doesn't like tea. And then, but he makes it anyway. As she, as he, as they make the tea, Roger tells her it's nothing to be ashamed of. She has a, uh, to look for Jamie. She has a right to know. So Brie obviously is still coming to grips with Jamie, her dad, Jamie, her bio dad. Like she may be betraying Frank. Roger tells her that he was curious about his own father and he shares with her the feeling of having an unknown father. He made up stories about him in school and got in trouble because of it. He had to, as a, as a young person who knew his father was gone, he felt he had to make him real. And that's how he made him real by making up stories about him. And the Reverend understood what was going on and began telling Roger stories about his father, the real ones. And that made him real to him. Leanne F. writes, Roger had experienced the same need with his father, whom he had lost at a very young age. As he tells Brianna, I had to make him real. See? Roger was lucky that he had the reverend to help him get to know his father through stories. Erica B. writes, Such a sad conversation about missing parents we have with Brian Roger. Roger made up cool stories about his dad and Bree just misses her mom and tries to trick her brain so she can get over the grief, but it doesn't work. And so she's taken into looking for them to make sure they are all right. We don't get any sense of how long she's been doing this or what, if anything, she has found, though. But I am curious. Now, Roger had a few actual memories of his mom. He was five when she died. So he actually has a, a decent recall, a very small recall, but recall about her. Brianna says regarding her mom, she's afraid to look. Not just because of Jamie, but as I said, because of her mother. And the fact that her mom isn't dead actually makes it harder, she says. She feels guilty for making her mom go. Of course, she didn't make her mom go. She wants to find out if her mother's all right. She did make her mom go. She told her mom, you can't force, she did not put a gun to her head and say go. That's making. No, she said, you go or I'm going to go. One of us is going. I understand that, but Claire still had a choice. She didn't make her go. She What she did was tell give Claire the assurance that she would be okay. And that she should go be with her, her beloved. But no one forced Claire to go. But she's afraid, Brianna is, that she'll find out that she's not all right, her mom. 
So she's, she's torn. She wants to look, she's afraid to find something out, but she feels she has to look. So it's, it's like a being pulled in two different directions, but more so in one. Leanne F writes, Brianna misses Claire and worries that in researching Jamie's history, she will run across information she would rather not find out about her mother. It must be agony to want to find out, but to be so fearful of discovering bad news about Jamie and Claire. Brianna urged her mother to go back to Jamie, but Brianna now worries that things might have not ended well for Jamie and Claire. She doesn't even know if they found her. And and not only that, but this this whole like conversation of I don't want to I don't know if I'm going to like what I find is very strange to me because they're all dead. I'm like the only, the only difference is for her because of the nature of the way that time travel appears to work for Claire is that she if the timing is right, she may still have time to go back and stop something if she times it right. Erica B writes, I had to look up jumble sale to make sure I knew what I thought it was. And she shared a Wikipedia link, which I'll put in the show notes. And she says, Wikipedia says that it's essentially what we would call a rummage sale. I had yard sale in my head, so I was close. The article goes into what differences are between the types of sales out there. And it is an interesting read. So all this time, Brie the whiskey hater is drinking whiskey bit by bit. <laughs> All during this conversation. Bree's a lightweight and Roger thinks he's wasted the Glenmorangi on her. She gets sick in the toilet. Then she has to go lie down for a rest. And she says to him, I told you I didn't like tea. Because tea was the problem. Exactly. Leanne F. writes, while Brianna sleeps off her whiskey... Roger continues clearing the house and considers his own Mackenzie history and the possibilities. Quote, he appreciated Brianna's ambivalence. He understood all too well the razor's edge between fear and curiosity, the pull between the need to know and the fear of finding out. Unquote. This is a perfect summary of what Brianna and Roger are feeling presently. They both are on the cusp of discovering more about who, the, who they are and who they come from. But the discovery could make them aware of things they might rather not know. This is a lovely echo of what Claire was feeling in the previous chapter. She wants to begin a new life with Jamie wherever they settle, but she is fearful of what this new life might bring at the same time. And Eileen P. writes, Brie needs to work on her whiskey tolerance. <laughs> she was definitely drunk, as defined by Jamie Fraser, because she could no longer stand. Hold her whiskey, literally. As Roger is cleaning up the kitchen tea mess, he puts two of the clean teacups in one of his own boxes. It was very sweet. And that's something I didn't catch on, other, on earlier reads. It actually had bothered him losing his home. That's why it had taken so long to complete. It was Fiona and her husband, or and her to-be husband, hus husband-to-be, her fiance, uh, waiting to move in that finally moved him on to completing it. And the last thing he took down from the corkboard was a, quote, yellowed sheet of paper. It was his family tree, a genealogical chart made out in the reverend's neat round hand, unquote, which takes us all the way back to where we started in Outlander. Now, the reverend had known of many of the people on the chart, if he hadn't known them personally. They couldn't pinpoint the woman with the green eyes, his own green eyes. She wasn't on the list, and there was a good reason for that. And then he finds the name of the changeling, William Buckley Mackenzie. 
son of Galus, Duncan, and Dougal Mackenzie. Now, he wondered if he'd inherited the ability to time travel as well as her eyes. He stores the chart away. Lots to think about there, dear reader, listener. Eileen P. writes, Roger is contemplating whether he has the ability to time travel. Is it genetic? Would he be able to because Galus, his many times great-grandmother, could? But Galus's ability to time travel might not have been part of her DNA. After all, unlike Claire, she did rely on blood sacrifice to go through the stones. Would she have been able to do it without the sacrifice? Galus, Claire, Bree, and Roger could all hear the humming of the stones, while Jamie could not. Is that an indication of time travel ability? So I guess uh, keeping our thoughts on books one to chapter 17 of book four, you're right, Eileen. All we know that they all had in common is that they can hear the stones. At this point, Galus heard and traveled. Claire heard and was able to travel. That's all we know. So evidence is leaning toward that way, but we don't know yet. So as he goes up the stairs, he comes across Brianna, who was coming out of the bathroom in nothing but a towel. And she didn't see him at first. He steps, she hears him, and turns. Now, I never noticed this before. Quote, he kicked off his sandals and planted a bare foot on one of the prints she had left. It was cool to his skin. Unquote. Did you remember that? I mean, Aaron Rogers turning into quite the creeper. He takes off his shoes and walks in her wet footprints. I do not remember that at all. Remember, it goes back to, and it's always at the manse too, goes back to the manse in Dragonfly when he has that creeper dream about Claire on, no, not, well, not about him and Claire, but about Claire and some redheaded dude doing it on the stones, remember? In the bathtub. He walks toward her and she lets the towel around her head fall off. He says, Kelpie. They embrace and she lets go of the towel. Quote, only the pressure of their bodies held it between them, unquote. So she starts to say something and he kisses her and then he grabs her backside. She loses her balance. They topple over together, exposed. She, wa she wants him to continue, but he stops. He doesn't want it like that or like this. Then the smell of something burning woke them both up. Brianna runs toward the stair and he catches her, says he'll handle it. And she goes to change. Yeah, I don't recommend naked cooking or naked or naked fire dealing. Oh, with Lord, no, no. Eileen P writes, have you noticed that anytime Roger and Bree start acting on their passion, they are interrupted? Even before anything physical happens, Fiona invites them to have Christmas with their family, tiptoeing around the fact that Roger and Bree are alone in the manse unchaperoned. Then Roger and Bree are kissing after the, quote, do you want kids question when the mailman, Mr. Macbeth, shows up. Finally, and I really mean it's about time, finally, with dripping wet Brie in nothing but a towel, Roger and Brie are going to throw caution to the wind and maybe, just maybe, have hot Kelpie sex. <laughs> of course, Fiona's burning suit puts a stop to that. Damn you, Fiona. At least Roger knows for sure that Brie returns his feelings. Well, at least his lust. Roger, handling the soup, is getting after himself for his handling of her. Some of Diana's beautiful imagery, quote, he was familiar enough with the language of the body to know how to know desire and surrender when he touched them. But what he'd felt in that brief moment when her body came alive to his, we went a great deal farther. The universe had shifted with a small, decisive click 
he could still hear its echo in his bones, unquote. And that is another phrase we come to again. Think about book seven. Now, remember in Outlander when Claire hears the sound of her heart breaking? That was terrible to read. Something happened. And I think it, and there was a conversation between her and Jamie, but something happened and she's very sad, obviously. And then Diana's line, the line was something like, and oh my gosh, Davina's delivery is like perfection. In that moment, I could hear the sound. I, I, I knew I, I could hear the sound of my heartbreak. It actually had a sound. And she described, oh, it was so gutting. It was so gorgeous. Roger wants Brianna for life to wife. He no longer feels whole until that's accomplished. Dinner, however, was ruined. They would go out to the pub, away from temptation, maybe to Christmas Eve services, and then home. Quote, then they would come home to a house dark and private, with themselves alone on a night of sacrament and secret, with love newly come into the world. And he would lift her in his arms and carry her upstairs on a night when virginity's sacrifice was no loss of purity, but rather the birth of everlasting joy. Unquote. How beautiful is that? Only Diana. I don't think that's going to work out for him. Mm. Leanne F. writes, Roger and Brianna are confronting the ghosts of their respective parents and striving to find a way to a future without them and perhaps with one another. This is only fitting at Christmas time since the since the old year is ending and a new year is soon to begin. Roger is clearing out the Reverend's house so Fiona can move in soon, and Brianna is considering selling Claire and Frank's house since it is too large for just her to live in. And the meeting between Roger and the freshly bathed <laughs> freshly bathed Brianna in the upstairs hallway has much the same tone. They both want to move forward with their relationship, but Roger hesitates, thinking that this is not the right place or time better he whispered i want it to be better the first time he believes that the two of them belong together and only a matter of waiting for the right time for as roger acknowledges the universe had shifted with a small decisive click and he wanted her he wanted all of her not just bed not just body everything always sounds like roger has come face to face with his identity now he just needs to make sure brianna feels the same way and erica b writes why is the stove still on I, heard it, I thought he turned it off when he went down after smelling the burning soup. I don't like that Diana's le letting this chapter end with an unknown fire burning. I do hope that the rest of Roger's evening goes exactly as planned. He's such a romantic. And uh, I wrote, but wait, Erica, an unknown fire is left burning. Isn't that representative of Roger and Bree? His blue balls. Oh, Lord. That was chapter 17. Now moving on to chapter 18, titled unseemly lust roger has okay almost came out wrong roger has inbred or learned sensitivity to things romish he didn't feel comfortable entering a catholic church but he wasn't attacked when he went in with brie so it's all good he inhales the incense as they get just get in brianna takes out a small black bit of lace to cover her head or that that is the like, like a, attached to her head or put into her hair with a comb this is post-Vatican II, but if you grew up pre-Vatican II, it is likely a habit, and that's what Brianna is doing. She's covering her head because it's 
She grew up pre-Vatican II. And Brianna, when he asks her about it, Brianna blames the hair covering bit on St. Paul. (laughs) Megan P. writes, Brianna is so much like Claire here when describing Paul from the Bible as a crusty old crab. You can definitely recognize the stamp of a strong woman upon another. Lorraine B. writes, Chapter 18 starts off with one of many words I've had to look up while reading Diana Gabaldon's books, ecumenical, as in, quote, the Reverend Wakefield had been a kindly and ecumenical man, meaning he wanted everyone the world over to be united in their religious, my dictionary says Christian, beliefs. I choose religious because the latter part of the sentence stated he was, quote, tolerant of all shades of religious opinion and willing to entertain doctrines his flocks would have found outrageous, if not downright blasphemous, unquote. I read the first seven books starting in 1997 without the benefit of an e-reader and would look up words in a dictionary or much later online. Now that I have everything in digital format, I am so pleased to be able to highlight a word and immediately see its meaning. My pages are peppered with little blue bars and in the margins, little blue squares where I've saved a note with a meaning. You probably know this already, but if you, in case you didn't, you can look up a lot of words and see what other people quotes or passages others have highlighted, um, at least with the Kindle. I'm not sure about the Nook or anything like that. So Roger and Bree exchange a quick kiss, getting stares and sounds of disapproval made at them. One of them is, quote, in Kirk and on Christmas Eve too, unquote. Apparently, he's a preacher's kid who's gone to the Dale. Megan P. writes, Roger gets over his Protestant discomfort quickly to steal that kiss. I really adore Roger and Brianna together. He is truly smitten, as is evident by his silent observations during Mass. Bree had on Ellen's pearls for Christmas. Some more people enter the church and recognize Roger. They ask him if he's come over to Rome. He says, maybe just not yet. Maybe not just yet and says he's there with a friend. But his saying that seemed declaration enough for the women there. He sees Brianna dipping her fingers in holy water near the entrance and crossing herself, and is reminded of a hill-walking trip with the reverend. They'd come up on a saint's pool. The reverend had taken some of the water from the pool and poured it at the foot of a stone there, and then put some on his face, and then they drank. There were, quote, tattered knots of fabric tied to tree branches above the spring, pledges, reminders of prayer left by whoever still visited the ancient shrine, unquote. Roger experiences the service with a, quote, slight sense of shocked distaste. The mixture of barbaric pageantry and the undulations of sung Latin were quite foreign to what he subconsciously felt was proper in church, unquote. He did note that as mass continued, it was more normal. Bible readings, the sermon, etc. This word always makes me laugh. Quote, you'll know which word when it comes out of my mouth. Quote, surrounded by a warm, familiar church fug composed of floor polish, damp wool, naphtha fumes, and a faint whiff of the whiskey with which some worshippers had fortified themselves for the long service, he scarcely noticed the sweet, musky scent of frankincense. Unquote. You know what the word was, right? No. Fug. So this is saying that it was a familiar scent to him, a reverend son who spent, who had spent, you know, many Sundays, a lot of time in church, in pews around that smell. And Catholic church fug is similar enough to Presbyterian church fug that, look, he's not judging. 
I find it funny that it was the smell of the clean, basically the, the cleaning uh, agents used for in the church. That's what actually, besides seeing things like the Bible readings and the sermon, you know, things he recognized, besides seeing those that made him a little more comfortable, it also finally made him comfortable once he was able to smell, once he was like, you know, a church is a church, it smells like a church, it's clean with the same agents. I know there are a lot of people who get things a lot more quickly than I do, which we went through last chapter. Have you ever considered, Summer, the similarity between Claire and Roger, Brianna and Jamie? Claire and Roger truly grow up as orphans, cared for by an uncle, a well-meaning uncle whose style of upbringing reflects what they know best. Uncle Lamb was an archaeologist, the reverend, a minister, and amateur historian. Claire goes on to be a scientist. Roger goes on to be, well, he goes on to be, for now, he is a historian. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I know, right? Stop. I just, I never looked at that. I never looked at that kind of cross thing. So not only, they have in common that they're only children. That is legit in common. But their backgrounds, like Jamie and Brianna, though their lives were very different. Jamie lost his mom when he was young, his father when he was in his late teens, I believe. Brianna grew up with two loving parents, a very complete home, but lost her dad at a relatively young age of 18. And of course, right there, the similarity ends. But Roger and Claire are more alike than any two other major characters. I was just trying to show that Claire and Roger have more in common family situation-wise than, than they do with other characters. And then Jamie and Brianna have you know, similarities. They both grew up in complete, you know, for all intents and purposes, complete intact homes, at least partially mom and dad were there. Um, Jamie lost his mom, I think around eight, but definitely remembers her. And his dad, older, obviously. But yeah, so there it ends. Brianna still has a mom who is most likely alive. But at this point, she's dead because it's just been it's 200 years. But there are a lot of similarities that I, I hadn't um, considered before. So Roger catches himself praying, quote, let me be worthy of her. Let me love her. Let me take care of her, unquote. Martina P. writes, I enjoyed reading about the sequence of the Catholic Mass. I felt like Roger so many moons ago when I, as a Protestant, attended Mass for the first time. The former unfamiliarity of the, of the service is routine now, and to this day I have not converted to Catholicism. Roger does not seem to feel totally out of place, and the religious differences between him and Brianna are not such a big deal to him, and it shows his willingness to compromise. Claire's presence on this day is evident. Brianna wears her pearls, which are actually Ellen's pearls, but they were given to Claire by Jamie. And she recalled Claire's opinion on St. Paul, which is quite humorous. St. Paul comes up quite a bit in Outlander. I also love Roger's prayer while Brianna is taking communion, which is not let me have her, but instead he wants to be worthy of her and love her rightly. Very, very impressive, Roger. It makes my heart melt. Now, I didn't say, and I don't think it was a quote to say, you know, let me, let me love her rightly, but that is something Jamie would say. They walk home and we learn that Presbyterians do not believe in guardian angels. I honestly had no idea. I thought guardian angels were at least in mainstream Christianity, mainstream Christian sects were, were like just not dogma, but I thought that was just a commonality, didn't you? No. You, you had no opinion? <laughs> so they are doing that night walk along the River Ness. The walk, in my mind, that I took 
in 2002 when I was studying in Scotland and I took a picture which Summer painted and became our first logo. But let's get back to Brianna and Roger. Lorraine B. writes, The chapter name, Unseemly Lust, is woven throughout and the tension builds incrementally starting with stolen kisses in the church vestibule. Roger noticing the luster of Brianna's skin as caused by her grandmother's pearls and his helpless yearning to stroke Bree's beautiful hair and that in turn sends his thoughts flying back to an empty manse, a towel that once was all that separated them and then wasn't, and that fabulous hair on his skin while steam rose from hers. Phew, I need a fan. Again. The moment is broken with a splash of humor. So just how old is the We Three Kings parody? We used to sing, We three kings of Orient are trying to smoke a robber cigar. It was loaded, then exploded. Now we are seeing stars. And I'm a Canadian in the mid in my middle 50s. Now, Summer, that little like mock We Three Kings in the book, had you outside of Outlander, had you actually heard any mimics of We Three Kings? I believe that I have. Okay, because I don't think I did. It's because you're not a godless heathen like me. Summer. That is not it. Stop it. Are you my sure? Point, <laughs> my point is I've heard Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Laid an Egg. I've heard of things, just not We Three Kings. And that rhymed. Roger gets serious. He is overwhelmed by his feelings for her, sees her as the mythical Kelpie, and he's afraid for her, quote, as though something might materialize from that water to snatch her back away from him, unquote. He says, I want you, Brianna. I cannot be saying it plainer than that. I love you. Will you marry me? He can tell in her face that's not what she expected or wanted to hear. He lets go of her hand and says, that's all right. Don't worry about it. She stops him. She kisses him in desperation and he pushes her away. What the F are you doing? What are you playing at? She says that she wants to go to bed with him, but not marry him. And he is incredibly insulted. She didn't mean to insult him. He says if all he wanted was to F her, he could have had her several times the summer before. She slaps him and deservedly so. And he grabs and kisses her. Quote, she was tall and strong and angry, but he was taller and stronger and much angrier. <laughs> I love the comparative, Diana. But he didn't. It wasn't what he wanted, not what he wants now. She says she does care too much to marry him. Quote, because when I marry you, when I marry anybody, it's going to last. Do you hear me? If I make a vow like that, I'll keep it no matter what it costs me. Unquote. He really only has himself to blame. If he hadn't given her those pictures of her mom and Frank on the wedding day, she would have probably been like, yes, I'll marry you now, right oh, yeah. now. Oh, kidding. That's true. That's true. And he tells her, quote, tell me what you mean and do it plainly before you drive me all the way to the Gaelic, unquote. And here she's surprised. She didn't know he spoke it. Now, did we know that yet? That he speaks French? No, Gaelic. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it's come out that, he's, that he speaks it fluently yet. Yeah. Lorraine B. writes, we come into this chapter knowing that Roger is going to propose. Well, if you read the book, you've known. 
It was a shock for me when Brianna's face falls and she shakes her head. Just before that, Diana lures us into a sense of security with the description of a perfect moment. We see from Roger's POV that Brianna has water droplets gleaming on her skin and glowing like pearls and diamonds in her hair. He likens her to a Kelpie and an Akurushka, a water horse, with eyes as wide and dark as a loch. Our hopes for a happily ever after moment are dashed, but we find out just how important the sacrament of marriage is to both of them. Do all children of divorced parents feel as Brianna does? Except her parents weren't divorced. But I mean, they maybe would have eventually gotten a divorce, but they, they probably would have gotten a divorce. Um, and I will share the um, link that Lorraine gave us about the water, ha- water horse, a.k.a. Kelpies. So Brianna tells him that she thinks she loves him too. She believes her mother meant it when she vowed to be true to her father, Frank. But then she went and met Jamie, quote, and she didn't mean it anymore, unquote. She continues, quote, she loved my father too, but then something happened. She didn't expect it and it wasn't her fault, but it made her break her word. I won't do that, not for anything, unquote. She's afraid that if she says yes now and something happens between then and when she graduates, what if they meet someone else? She doesn't want to take the chance of hurting him. She opened up her coat and his and embraces him and they kiss. Martina P writes, ouch, Roger, what a bitter rejection to his marriage proposal. Brianna does send mixed signals and one can understand Roger's initial confusion all too well. She is willing to bet him, but not ready to marry him. Roger, the honorable man, is outraged by this proposal. He wants all or nothing when it comes to her. In Brianna's defense, she has a very pragmatic approach, knowing she has to go back to the U.S. to finish her degree. Roger is very angry, but she manages to disarm him with the explanation that she loves him too much to marry him now. Brianna is haunted by her mother's life. She knew Claire loved Frank initially, but fell out of love with him when she met Jamie. I think Roger does understand with this, ex- with this explanation when she tells him that they have to be apart for one year without commitment. Brianna's refusal did anger me at first, but her explanation does make sense in the end. Someone is walking by and stops. They clear their throat. Roger continues kissing her. The injured party insists... She's with the dude because he tells her to let them be. Can't you see they're getting engaged? (laughs) I know, right? Rub it in. I know, know, right? Lorraine B. writes, Twice in this chapter, the sound of women's heels is mentioned while Brie and Roger are kissing. So again, I looked up Cuban and French heels to see what physical difference between the two would make an audible difference because sadly, I'm not a shoe fashionista. Okay, neither are we, Lorraine. For those who have never looked, Cuban heels are thick and straight-sided and can be found on those little black boots that go so well with your jeans. And according to Diana, make a, quote, prim tap, unquote. Here's a Google search complete with pictures or just Google it yourselves. And we'll provide that link as well. She continues. French heels are a curvy, stylish, thinner heel that make our pumps chic and according to Diana, make a click. Go here to see what a French heel looks like and why my 1980s version paled in comparison. And for those wanting to learn more, the Bada 
I hope it's Bada. Bada Shoe Museum in Toronto, Ontario, Canada is home to over 13,000 shoes, including an original pair of Dorothy's Red Ruby Slippers from The Wizard of Oz and a pair of John Lennon's Beetle Boots, both with a Cuban heel. It's hard not to spend an afternoon marveling at the history of footwear. Roger tells her, Brianna, that he'll wait. But he tells her he'll have her all or not at all. She says she understands. And he hands her a small package, a Christmas present. He had bought it last summer. It was a silver bracelet with a silver band, quote, words etched around it. He took it from her and slipped it over her hand onto her wrist. She turned it slowly, reading the words, je t'aime, un peu, beaucoup, passionnément, pas du tout, or I love you, a little, a lot, passionately, not at all. He gave the band a quarter turn more, completing the circle. Je t'aime, he said, and then with a twist of fingers, sent it spinning on her wrist. She laid a hand on it, stopping it. Moi aussi, she said softly, looking not at the band, but at him. Joyeux Noël. So he just gave her a magic eight ball bracelet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Megan P. writes, It strikes me in this chapter that Roger is charmingly old-fashioned in the same way as Jamie. Brianna, in the same vein, has so much of Claire's stubborn independence. I also see so much of Jamie in her, in her choices. She isn't as impulsive as Claire. She's very mindful of things in that way that Jamie has, of weighing all possible outcomes and making his choices carefully. The vulnerability in admitting she's frightened was so honest and real, which proves a truly poignant moment between Roger and Brianna. Wow. I will have you all or not at all. Whether it's Jamie or, in this instance, Roger, Diana sure knows how to write those one-liners. Great chapter. Love these little glimpses. Lorraine B. writes, And then we see the romance of a gift given with the heart. A bracelet engraved with French for I love you a little, a lot, passionately, not at all. And Brianna tells him that she loves him back. Sigh. We're not there yet, but it's a start. So way back when... This is just an aside for us. So way back when, you were asking us which our favorite book was. I responded, Voyager, because so much happens. And, you know, print shop. But it's been a while since I read Dragonfly. Summer. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while since I read Drugs of Autumn. And I'm falling in love. (laughs) I'm falling in love all over again with Brie, Roger, and the quest for a perfect spot to settle for Jamie and Claire. And that was not only chapter 18, that was the end of part six. Join us next week when we will be beginning part seven on the mountain, chapter 19, entitled Hearth Blessings. As always, join us to continue the conversation in our Facebook community. Find us at outlanderpod.com slash group. And if you want to join in and contribute to our Drums of Autumn read along, you can go to www.outlanderpod.com slash DOA and find out all the details there. And in case you're wanting to be part of our Dragonfly and Amber read along, that ship has sailed. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> you, you know, you started saying that and I was like, I didn't say it again, did I? No, uh, but you, you made me in my brain. It. It's all your fault. So if you love our show and are entertained by it, please visit our Patreon page and consider supporting us. Every bit helps cover our costs, be it hosting, recording equipment, 
giveaways, etc. There are also many free ways to help support our show. The most important way you can help support us is to help spread the word. Tell your friends and family about our show and anyone and everyone who loves Outlander. Thank you, as always, so much for joining us. We look forward to our next episode. Thank you to our generous partner, Zencaster, who offers high-fidelity podcasting. Check out Zencaster and use coupon code OUTLANDER20, OUTLANDER20, for 20% off three months or 20% off for a year. Connect with us. Visit our website at outlanderpod.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash outlanderpod. We'd love for you to join our Facebook community at outlanderpod.com slash group. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at outlanderpod.